0: If I were to say the name Don Piper, do you know who I'm referencing? Maybe the book entitled, I think it's titled 90 Minutes in Heaven. Here's the way the book begins page 13. I died on January 18th, 1989. Paramedics reached the scene of the accident. Within minutes, they found no pulse, and they declared me dead. They covered me with a tarp so that onlookers wouldn't stare at me while they attended to the injuries of others, and I was completely unaware of the paramedics or anyone else around me. Immediately after I died, I went straight to heaven. While I was in heaven, a Baptist minister came on the accident scene, And even though he knew I was dead, he rushed to my lifeless body and he prayed for me. Despite the scoffing of the EMTs, he refused to stop praying. At least 90 minutes after the EMTs pronounced me dead, God answered the man's prayer and I returned to earth. This is my story. In the following 192 pages... Chronicle Don Piper's tragic car accident and his long, painful recovery. But the focus of the book is his 90 minute visit to heaven. Between the time that he was pronounced dead and, in his words, returned to earth. In his book, he describes how God has done something marvelous with his life since the accident. And how his account of heaven has given so many people hope. He writes, I've changed the way I do funerals now. Now I can speak authoritatively about heaven from first-hand knowledge, page 129. Now the only thing that troubles me about that book is not the story But my hope is not in Don Piper. Are you with me? When I am going through a difficult time in my life, when I am at the point where my heart is troubled, I will seek my refuge in Jesus. And I know that the experience is almost too big to comprehend. But that's where we begin today. And if you have your Bibles, John chapter 14, those first 14 verses, and we're going to zero in on verse 6. We've been studying, those of you who are visiting with us today, we have been studying throughout the book of John, the I am statements of Jesus. He says at least seven times in the text that he is something. And it's these statements that prove to those around him and to us today that there is some messianic connection to Jesus, the Messiah, to his relationship with the Father, and to our relationship as followers. So I want to read this piece for you, the 14 verses, you can follow with me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you will also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And then Thomas speaks for the group. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Catch this, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Father, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence Of the miracles themselves, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Man, this is a huge emotional time for the twelve. I mean, it's almost unbearable. They've already gone through this big uproar, and then Jesus says, Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm leaving. I'm out. You guys are going to be on your own. So they begin to pepper him with questions, and Peter proclaims his undying allegiance to Jesus. He tells Jesus that he will follow him wherever he goes. And we know the rest of the story, don't we? He denies him three times, don't know the guy. Kind of leaves him hanging in the lurch. Anxiety was at an all-time high. Jesus knew that. That's why he says in verse 1, by acknowledging their feelings and understanding that their hearts were troubled. Early on in the book of John, Chapter 5, verse 7, the same word for troubled is used in the text. It's used to describe a pool of water that was stirred up. So what's being said here is that their hearts, their emotion, their lives were stirred up. Like the ingredients in a mixing bowl... There was doubt, confusion, there was uncertainty, there was fear, and they were, their hearts were being stirred. How can he leave? Why can't we follow him? Take those questions and add them to the fact that one of them would betray Jesus and there would be a death on the cross and his friends would walk away, and then we find these words in John 14. He says, a command there, he says, trust me. Some of your translations might even say, believe me, believe in me. The question that we have to ask ourselves here is when we're going through a hard time, and sometimes life is hard, is it not? Sometimes it's not pleasant, it's uncomfortable. When you're going through a difficult time in your life, an emotional, a physical, a financial, a whatever you want to call it, who do you trust? Who do you look to for hope, for comfort, for peace? When the hearts of the disciples were troubled or stirred up, Jesus reminds them right out of the gates to trust him. And you know in any relationship, if trust has been jeopardized, there will be issues. Can trust issues be overcome? Well, yeah, sure they can. But man, it takes a lot of hard work and it takes time, doesn't it? Verse 1, trust God, trust also in me. Jesus is not saying for the first time, you need to trust me. You need to believe in me. He is saying, you have trusted me. You have believed in me, so keep on doing it. And don't we just need to hear that sometimes? You know, God probably has never failed me. He's scared me to death a few times. He's taken me right to the edge a time or two. But man, he's always come, come through and I just need to learn to trust him. We need to learn to keep believing in God. We need to learn to keep trusting. We need to learn to keep leaning on him. In this life, who do you lean on? I can see some of you are leaning already today. Hope you're not going to sleep yet, but just leaning. I mean, there's probably someone in our head that we lean on. When we feel like we are in their presence, we feel peace and comfort and joy and hope and happiness. On and on the story goes. That's just the way it it works. And Jesus wants them to understand that the antidote, the cure for this virus of anxiety is Jesus. Those who do not have a relationship with Jesus have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Those of you who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, followers of Jesus, you know exactly what I am talking about right now. He may not take the pain away, the difficulty away, but he promises to help us through the pain and the difficulty. My small group, this is... This is our time. We will get through this, won't we? It may not be quick. It may take some time. It may be painful. But we will get through this, whatever this is. This is what we've learned. When we're going through a hard time, we can trust God. When we're going through that hard time, don't do anything out of sorts. And I've added my own verbiage don't do anything stupid. Just trust God and let him work in our hearts. Small groupers, you know what I'm talking about. That's kind of our our call to arms now. Jesus links their belief in God to their belief in him. Again, messianic language. Who is the Messiah? Jesus says he is. How could he say that? Well, here's why, but it leads us to the Second point, here's why they can trust him. This is why they can trust me, Jesus says. Throughout scripture, we are commanded to trust God, and we are given reasons why we can trust him. This is what we've been looking at for the past six weeks. He says in John 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you connect with me, if you have a relationship with me, you will never be hungry. And all the hungry people said, amen. John 8, 12, Jesus says that he is the light of the world and whoever connects to him will never be in darkness. John 10, 9, Jesus says that he is the gate. He is the door. And he goes on to say, whoever enters through him, by that he's talking about a relationship. Whoever enters through him, he says, will be saved. John ten eleven, Jesus says that he is the shepherd. And remember how it's accurately translated? He is the shepherd, the one that is good. And he says he is the one who lays down his life for his sheep, his people, his followers. Last week, Michael zeroed in on John eleven twenty five, 25, where Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in him will live even though he or she dies because we are promised the power of resurrection. Today in John fourteen six, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, catch this, no one comes to the Father except through him. Can I just take a little time out right here for a second because there's a lot going on in this verse grammatically. Jesus does not say, I am a way. I am a truth. I am a life. He doesn't say that, does he? Grammarians, if you're out there, there's a little article, the. Some pronounce it the. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to my Father except through me. So if you are to analyze that today, how can we connect to the Father? It's got to be through the Son. It's got to be Jesus. That's the one and only way, he says. There is no other connection to the Father except through him. So again, messianic in its nature Jesus begins to remove the fear, the anxiety by telling his friends, hey, I'm going away, but verses 2 through 4 says he's going to come back. While he's away, he's going to be preparing a place for them, and when he comes back, he will take them to be with him in his new digs forever. He makes reference to a place called heaven two times in these few verses. Heaven is a real place. It's not some imaginary thing conjured up in the heads of theologians. It's a real place. And I got to tell you this, if heaven is a real place, you need to understand here today that hell is a real place. And there is no way that you connect to the Father in heaven without going through the Son. Our connection process is baptism And if there's not a connection, if there's no uh, relationship there, then hell is going to be the real deal for a lot of our friends and family. The promise must have lifted the disciples' hearts out of despair. He promised them eternal rest in his home, and he reminded them to trust him. He says he is the way, the only way to the Father or to heaven. He promised not to leave them. And you know as well as I do that between the crucifixion and the resurrection, the disciples were a mess. They were scared out of their wits. They were helpless. They felt abandoned, forgotten in a broken world. Do you think our world is still broken? Anybody here ever felt abandoned or forgotten? With these tools, the cross, the empty grave, the transfiguration, Jesus returns to heaven, and he gave his life so that his followers would have the opportunity to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, that's good news. Non-scientific survey, okay? How many followers of Jesus do I have here today? The promise is ours. Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven. What's that going to be like? I don't know. I don't think it's going to be clouds and floating around. But he's there preparing a place for you, for me. I don't care what my place looks like, do you? I just want a place. I'm sure if Debbie is there with me, I'll have chores to do. I just want a place. Our promise. We have a tendency to forget the promises of God, don't we? Here's why. We have a pretty unhealthy attachment to earthly things. Did you catch that? I mean, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the person sitting next to you or that person sitting in front of you or behind you. We have an unhealthy attachment to earthly things. Anybody here have more stuff than they need? (laughs) Anybody here have more stuff than they want? I mean, we have a plan, don't we? Every year they call it Christmas lists. Sometimes they are larger than they are in other years, but we, 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 we have an unhealthy connection there. Some of us have an unhealthy perspective about Jesus. He can never love me. He can never be a part of my family. Here's what I've done. He knows what I've done. I can, I, I, he would never be on my side. Too many people have an unhealthy understanding of heaven. The defining characteristics of heaven that come out of the book of Revelation. Are you ready for this? No sickness. No pain. No tears. No suffering. Streets of gold and on and on the list goes. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. But probably the most outstanding characteristic, once in heaven, there will be no more sin. You see, sin separates us from God. And without sin, there can be no separation from a loving heavenly father. Do you remember the name Ted Turner? I mean, the guy's still around. He's in his late 70s, I think. Billionaire, founder of CNN. CNN and owner of the Atlanta Braves. and This article appeared in the USA Today magazine. I want to share it with you. He says, you know, I'm not looking for any big rewards. I'm not a religious person. I believe this life is all we have. I'm not doing what I'm doing to be rewarded in heaven or punished in hell. I'm doing it because I feel it is the right thing to do. Almost every religion talks about a savior, and when you look in the mirror in the morning, when you're putting on your lipstick or shaving, you're looking at your savior. Nobody else can save you but yourself. Even though probably a small minority of people would say something like that, hold on to your chairs. I think the majority of people in our world live like that. They live like they don't need a savior. They don't need a Lord because they are very talented and gifted and creative and they will take care of themselves. In scripture, we are forced to compare religion and the gospel. You see, religion is a system that teaches that we have the ability to save ourselves. Religion looks inside ourself for salvation. The gospel, the good news, the message from Jesus, the only hope for salvation is outside yourself. I know it's Mother's Day. Mamas, you can't save yourself. If you can teach your kids anything, maybe that would be the one thing. You cannot save yourself. You need Jesus. You need a Lord. You need a Savior. There's a difference between the two. A Savior is someone who saves us from a difficulty. A Lord is someone that we pledge our allegiance to, and we need both. Throughout the Old Testament, we clearly see the failure of religion, An attempt to keep the law. Have you read the Old Testament? There's a whole lot of law out there. And there's no way. We can't even keep the ten, can we? Let alone the hundreds. The prophet Isaiah condemned the Israelites for living as if they felt their works would make them okay before God. He says in Isaiah 29, 13, they attempted to draw near to God with their mouths and honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far, far away. Jesus said in the New Testament, It's impossible to reconcile. Now, that's a term that we use a lot in marriage, in relationships. It's impossible to reconnect, Jesus says, to my Father, except. Through him. Seriously? Clark, you're telling me the only way to heaven is Jesus? Yeah, yeah, I'm saying that because that's what the Bible says. So now the disciples in their time of need in the presence of Jesus, they've had their feet washed. That was kind of symbolic and kind of embarrassing and kind of straightforward. Straightforward. They've been warned of a traitor in their midst. They've seen Peter basically shot down by Jesus. And now he's saying, I'm out of here. After all the bad news, Jesus says that he will be back. (laughs) Whenever I read that verse... Arnold Schwarzenegger, remember him? One of his favorite lines in one of those movies I'll be what? I'll be back. That just pops into my head. I'm just telling you, I'm a weird thinker, you know? Jesus says, hey, don't worry, I will be back. It's a promise. You know the place where I'm going. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says, and I repeat, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one, nobody can connect to the Father except through me. Jesus teaches two things here, two promises. He promises, number one, a path to heaven. He's the way. Here's the way you go. And he promises also, Power from heaven. I want to talk you through that this morning before we close. The promises that he makes, not future promises. Jesus doesn't say, you will know the way. That's future tense. Jesus says, you know the way. That's present tense. But the disciples, (laughs) they're not sure they know the way. Verse 5, Thomas says, he's not certain of the destination. And Jesus says, again, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no one gains access to the Father except through me. You know, in the Old Testament, this, this very same principle was taught by virtue of an object lesson. They had object lessons back in Bible times. If you remember, hanging in the tabernacle, in the temple there was a sick curtain called the veil. The purpose of the veil was to symbolically separate man from God. I mean, that's the purpose of that veil. The New Testament teaches that because of our sin, We need a bridge. We need a mediator. We need a savior. We need someone who can bring us into the presence of God, again, because sin separates man from God. For the Jews and for people of the Old Testament, this was a high priest who would enter into this room on the other side of the veil once a year to confess the sin's, of the nation when Jesus died on the cross remember what happened to the veil it was torn it was ripped from top to bottom just as the veil symbolized the separation of God and man the tearing of the veil symbolized that there was now a way because of Jesus to connect to the Father once again Jesus the mediator. Jesus, the connector, the bridge. Because he is the way, the only way, to reconnect fallen man to the Father. One more thing here. Jesus makes reconciliation possible for sinful man. You see, our relationship is all about a connection. It's about grace and Mercy and forgiveness and love. And we can't forget obedience. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. So that's what the relationship kind of boils down to, our ability to obey. And we all know the moral codes of God, don't we? The moral codes, the moral will of God is don't do these things. Do these things. We know the moral codes. We just have a hard time... We shouldn't go to those places, shouldn't talk that way, shouldn't be a part of that kind of lifestyle. We know what we should do. It's called the moral will of God. Salvation is such more than just praying a prayer. It's putting your trust in a person and making that person Lord and Savior. And then obediently doing what our Lord commands And we declare this through our baptism and it's through our relationship with the Son that we have salvation from the Father. Two weeks ago at the end of second service, I had a family of four grown adults who accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, who understands these I am statements, and all four a husband and a wife and Two married daughters were baptized into Jesus. Religioustolerance.com. I don't really recommend that website, but they have a statement of belief. We do believe that systems of truth in the field of morals, ethics, and religious belief are not absolute, they vary by culture. Over time. And all I can say to that is that it's not true. You see, the Bible says there are absolutes. Absolute truths. Jesus says, again, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He's the one and only way, the one and only truth, the one and only life. No one connects to the Father except through him. So here, Jesus promises, verses 12, 13, and 14, two things to his disciples, to the power of heaven. Verse 12, he promised them greater works. Now, they've already been a part of some pretty great things, right? Walking on water, changing this into that, being a part of this action. They've seen dead people come back to life and... Now they're being told that they will do greater works. The word actually means spectacular. They will do more spectacular things than what they have seen with Jesus. I mean, that's got to pump them up, right? Verses 13 to 14, they are promised answered prayer. That's got to be a big deal. Tuesday, Tuesday I drove over to New Albany because I had heard that my two grandsons' Little League teams were playing each other. So, man, I could go and watch both of them play in the same night. And they had fun. It was fun watching them. And I had to help the umpires out a time or two. I was just being poppy, you know. Those poor guys couldn't see very well. Little Eli, he's just six. He had all that catching gear on. He he looked like a a hockey goalie. He's kind of walking up and I said, man, who is that? That's Eli. Took a foul tip. Boom. And I could tell, I was sitting pretty close. I could tell, hitting pretty good. After the inning, his dad went on there and said, Eli, you doing okay? He goes, yeah, but I didn't want to make the crying face. I just let the tears fall down. You ever felt that way? Because of life, because of the difficulties of life, you didn't want to let anybody else see you were in pain, that you were hurting, and you kept it inside, but you still let the tears fall down. See, that's not the place Jesus wants us to be in. He wants us to understand no matter how hard, how difficult, how painful, that he is, catch this, the Way the truth and the life he will help us through those hardships that's a promise a place called heaven a path to heaven power from heaven one command just one command trust me you do not need to rely on yourself he is the way You do not need to live in uncertainty because he is the truth. And you do not need to fear death because he is life. Today we celebrate Mother's Day. We have a little treat for you out out in the entranceway. Don't leave without it. If not, I will be eating that all week. Eight out of ten homes in America, they will celebrate Mother's Day. Eight out of ten. I don't get that. $21 billion. Did you catch that? Billion dollars spent this weekend. Moms, I just have one question to ask you. I really have two questions. One for moms and then one's for all of us. And then we're out of here. Are you with me? Moms, when do you quit being mom? Mom. Never or not until God calls you home. Good answer. Okay, this is for everyone. Followers of Jesus, when do you quit following Jesus? Never or not until God calls you home. Let's pray.